Today on Hungry for Wisdom, sometimes it is God's will not to prepare a podcast episode. You are standing on the shoulders of a lot of dead dudes and an interview with real life, actual, normal Christians. It is episode six. Turn it up. Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor of Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. Today's episode is dedicated to a guy that has been dead for a long time, about 500 years, a fellow named William Tyndale. If uh, you have ever read an English Bible, it is because of the work of many people, foremost among whom in my mind is William Tyndale, and uh, we owe him a lot. And we're going to be in the whole realm of uh, you know, just discussing Bible translation and whatnot today. So uh, he, he's kind of my guy from, from church history, one of my my favorite dudes. If you want to know more about William Tyndale, you've never read up on him at all, I'd recommend a book called The Daring Mission of William Tyndale by a guy named Stephen Lawson. It's short, it's really good, and it hits all of the, the high points and the pertinent information without a whole lot of the fluff. So you can go ahead and just read that in the evenings. The Daring Mission of William Tyndale by Stephen Lawson. Uh, but today we've got, uh, we got an interview with some missionaries that are uh, being you know, being activated and sent out and to be effective and fruitful in this whole space of Bible translation. So I'm going to introduce you here shortly to Gabe and Naomi Lawrence. But first, here we go. A little bit of techno just because it gets us in the right mood. Gabe, Naomi, how you guys doing? Good. Great. Thanks right. for having us. Yeah, you bet. There we go. Hold on. I hit a wrong button. Okay. Well, it's a good thing I'm about making disciples and not technology because I'm terrible at that. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we were talking on the phone and I said, hey, why don't you guys come in and do a podcast because you guys are doing some phenomenal stuff. So why don't you tell us all just a little bit about you know, big picture? What are you doing? A big picture is God is doing. He's growing his church and we are excited to be having joined Wycliffe Bible Translators. And so we're, we're joining the team of, of individuals as full-time missionaries headed overseas, and it takes a team of people uh, to do that. So you guys are taking your, your kids and just, like, this is a long-term relocation. That's right. Yeah, we've got four kids, and we're, we're taking them. They uh, and us just completed what we call equip, which is initial training with Wycliffe, which is part of that uh, first, hey, you've signed up, you've, you've uh, been assigned a location to go, a group to partner with basically and and they've trained us and so we had that initial training and now we're off into partnership development and then we'll finish training and go overseas so how long did that initial phase take for you guys well there's a little story short with Wycliffe we got accepted in June and so the training I just mentioned is was a, a, a number of weeks here that we just wrapped up mm-hmm. cool and so you guys have been working on this for a long time that's right. Yeah. Um, the Lord put in my heart as a young man to to see how I could further the Great Commission and make Jesus worshipers. I mean, I, and it's not a thing about me at all. It's just, Hey Lord, can I be a part of what you're doing you know, around the world? And I met my wife along the way and she's like, yeah, I can, I can buy into that. And that's part of her story. I don't want to steal it from her, but uh, as a missionary pilot was really my vision. I said, Lord, can you use my time? Can you use my skills? And I saw there was a need. Yeah. So I've been pursuing that for quite a few years. So now Naomi, when you married him, then did you know that he wanted to jump in a rickety airplane and fly to the most remote places in the world? Yeah, it was a prereq. 
<laughs> Gabe, let me know from day one. <laughs> if you marry me, this is this is what our future is going to be. And um, uh, yeah, growing up, I did not picture myself as a missionary. Um, I thought it was amazing work that people did, and and some people were called to that. I did not specifically feel called, but hearing Gabe's call to the mission field and praying about it and feel strong, feeling strongly that I was called to marry Gabe, then it. It, it would follow that, that I was called to be a missionary's wife. Yeah. And so um, along the way, we took classes like Perspectives to, to really hone in on that. That was a great class. It's an amazing it? class. Yeah. Yes. That will, that will explode your brain box. If you guys have never taken the Perspectives class before, it's just like mm. this, you know, what is it, like 15 weeks or something of, mm. it, it's missiology from, from soup to nuts. I mean, it's from the ground up like, hey, God's got a mission. Like that's the first class. Yes. There's a mission, by the way. And then by the end, you're like, you know, you know on fire, rip-roaring, ready to go and give your life for it. So it's super helpful. Yeah. So, okay. So you marry him. You're like, all right, marrying this guy. I'm going to, you know, hopefully, you know, have a family. I'm guessing that was, you know, a focus of yours even back then. Cause it is now yep. and going to go and, mm-hmm. and push out the, the, the known boundaries of the kingdom of God, make people know about him that don't. So the, the Bible translation area, then this is, this is a big, a big world, right? The Bible translation world. And most people don't know about it because it's, it's always happening behind the scenes. And so we pull out our phone and we've got every English Bible translation available to us, on, you know, on a free app, or we've got our preferred translations, or we've got, you know, a, a four-column New Testament where we can compare translations. And this is normal for us, right? But that comes on the heels of a whole lot of, I mean, like thousands of years of really gritty work. So what what's the what's the landscape look like right now? I mean, how many people groups are there that still don't have a Bible in their language? I mean, what what's the the mountain look like that you guys are being called to climb? Yeah, the the number of people groups or, or languages that need a scripture translation project started is a thousand eight hundred ninety two right now. That's like the latest yeah. statistics just came out last month. So like nineteen hundred language groups that haven't even started right. getting the Bible translation in their right. language still. So that so people that don't have a full Bible is one point five. So there might be portions of Scripture. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of progress, a lot going on. One point five billion people that don't have a full Bible, and those who now just think about those eighteen, nineteen hundred languages. That's one hundred forty five million people with not a single word. Wow, not a single now, word. Now, do we know how many of these language groups actually have a written language already? Because like, like a lot of times, you got to create a written language for them and then teach them to read their own language so they can read the Bible, right? Yeah, and this is where I put my disclaimer in that I, I'm not the linguist specialist, and so I don't know the answer to the question. I do know a lot of them have no written language. So we yeah. go in there, and a big part, the Jesus film, uh, yep. you know, oral Bible translation, audio, Bible.is, those groups are huge partners with this. This isn't just a Wycliffe thing. This is there's like a hundred different companies teaming together to get the word of God into the people in the language. Do you guys know where you're going yet? We do. Yeah, we've been assigned to Papua New Guinea. All right. Yeah. Cool. Because there's like however many thousands of language groups even within there's like 800 yeah. uh, plus <laughs> language groups there. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, you think about oh yeah, it's like a it's, it's this island down there. It's kind of a you know by Australia. There must be some you know some tribes or something and it's like this is this this cosmopolitan you know jungle wonderland with all this diversity in it and everything it is, yeah. it is maybe yes. wonderland's the wrong word i think there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on down there but yeah jungle wonderland is is a, is a nice way to say it okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are are in the aviation space then so what's what's that look like what's the actual mission look like practically yeah you, you know one of those there's a few locations and and Papua New Guinea is one of those that's hard to reach in terms of geography. If you're not in the rainy season, uh, you can get partway to these places by 
by car. But when it's rainy season, you're even further down the river, uh, muddy, you know, mountainsides. So what might be weeks to just hike up a mountain and get to a tribe and get the missionary settled is a 15, 25, 35 minute flight. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a game change. And so can Bible translation exist without aviation, without transportation support? Yes, but it's difficult, really difficult. Well, yeah, as evidenced by the fact that there's still places that we haven't gotten to yet. That's right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So the other area that we're, we're helping with, um, to go to Papua New Guinea, everybody over the age 18 does need a work mm-hmm. visa. Mm-hmm. And so I am the mom of four kids all under the age of seven. Um, so right now my full-time job is the kids, but um, my work visa will be a laboratory technician. Okay. So they do have a medical clinic there that serves both the base there and the local community as they are able to. What um, kind of base is it? Like an American military base or what? Yeah. So what? it's it's um, not a military base, but <laughs> it, so I use that term a little bit loosely, but basically in Papua New Guinea, Ukarampa is in the middle of nowhere. Um, and in order to keep missionaries there fueled to go out to the, or keep translators um, able to stay in their towns that they're translating, they needed a home base so people could get basic dental. They could have a place for their kids. They could have basic medical and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so this town was created around that. So it's just the bare bones to keep people on the mission field. So Gabe being a pilot, we would actually stay on that kind of home base mission base. Mission base is the right term. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And then you can go out from there and do whatever, whatever missions or logistical support or transportation you got to do from there. Right. Okay. Now I've heard about, um, missions, aviation ministries where they'll go into places where they won't let missionaries and they'll just go and drop audio Bibles in their language and just leave them like, you know, playing out loud, hanging from trees or something crazy like that. So is, is that, you know, are there any places in Papua New Guinea where you're not supposed to go? Not that I'm aware of. You okay. know, the government, we call in every flight, you yeah. know, they know exactly and, and they're appreciative of the work we do. That's so cool to be able to work, you know, in tandem with them because there's, or I mean, just with, with their knowledge, because that, that makes so many links able to happen. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's a, a witness. Huge blessing. It's a witness there too. And, and we help out whenever we can. So if they're flying out to bring a missionary and there's enough load to bring back, you know, coffee for the locals to sell, oh, yeah. um, they work symbiotically together for those reasons and they help with different emergencies as well. So when able, they, they want to help. Okay. So now I, I heard a, uh, it wasn't a rumor. It was, it was uh, written down somewhere as a quote from one of the big muckety mucks at Wycliffe. All right. And they said, they said that uh, the, we are expecting the last Bible translation. It's possible to have it completed in the year 2037. Have you guys heard this? That sounds pretty right. It, you know, and Bible translation, actually, there was an original goal of 2025. Mm-hmm. And at, in 1999, when that vision occurred, online was coming uh, software to accelerate Bible translation. Mm-hmm. And then partway through that the last couple decades here, they realized, um, you know, there's more languages out there than we even realized. Oh man. Like the numbers have grown. And so the vision of 2025 became more of a challenge, but there's some ways that they, uh, that's sped it up before they would try and do one language from beginning to end Mm -hmm. until it was complete. Now they take five plus, um, different languages cluster that are very, project. yeah, cluster projects, um, similar languages where they can team and, and figure out different strategies yeah. and work together so they can greatly increase the speed. And at there's which a they'd... partnership with the church with that where they'll take a national, uh, a native, right? Somebody mm-hmm. who's a believer in that church and says, I want to dedicate my time. They'll get a partnership. So that person basically has their salary. You might say their substance paid for so they can be full time 
educated, become part of the Bible translation team, and that's their native tongue. Okay. So you get a cluster project from all these neighboring tribes, and you'll take. So there's lots of ways that that vision has the Lord has used that to envision or recreate how we do Bible translation. But the, the importance is that it's accurate, it's clear, right? Yeah. All those things aren't lost. And so while the speed has increased, it's because we're resourcing this in a different way. Than well, and that's so important because as you increase efficiency, so often you decrease the precision of it, right? right. And and to be able to maintain all of that, because this is the eternal word of God we're talking about here, Amen. right? We're not we're not translating the Guinness Book of World Records. Like this is this stuff matters, you know? So it's it's one of the tricky things about you know linguistics is like how do you tell what like where the where the break is between one language and another sometimes right because you got these these different tribes and they all speak something like the same language in different dialects but like at what point do you need a different bible for these guys than for those guys and i've seen maps of this stuff where like you know there'll there'll be you know 100 miles of uh you know of of mapping and the guys on on the east side of the 100 mile map can't understand the guys on the west side but they can understand their neighbors who can understand their neighbors who can understand their neighbors who can so yes. they could play telephone all day long but it's like at, at what point do you shift in in translation so there's all these like weird logistical problems that people don't even know about until you put boots on the ground and say oh no like we, we didn't see this coming it's true yeah Man, so how, so with with the 800 some odd language groups where you guys are, are in, in that general area of the world which is a big area right um how how many people groups in there don't have a Bible in their language yet? Uh, it's 300-something. Wow. still waiting. Yeah. Wow. And this is the place that we've heard of. Where we've been for many years. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's so many. And I want to I give credit. Like you, you mentioned, you know, William uh, uh, Tyndale and yeah. his work and all the other translators, right, who have done that. And Wycliffe is, is founded off of, or the name is from John Wycliffe, yep. the first guy who, I mean, they even dug him up. He was translated into English. <laughs> and the clergy's like, we don't like you. They dug up his dig bones and they threw him. So all the work that's gone is is success. I mean, you might yeah. say, wow, we are, we are, I'm excited because there is work to be done and yet there's so much that has been done. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for, for anybody listening that hasn't heard this story yet, you, you need to know this. This is part of the, the heritage. I mean, in, in the introduction, I said we stand on a lot of dead dude's shoulders. John Wycliffe is a big, big deal. So in the 1300s, he, uh, he was in England and he said, okay, we need a, a Bible in English. Now, if you look up the Wycliffe English translation, it's basically Middle English. Like You can't really read it all that well because it's, it's, a, extre- it's an extremely different dialect than what we speak now. But it's really cool to look at. And, you know, they got the S's that look, or the F's that look like S's and the extra E's and extra letters and everything. Very strange. And when you read it straight through, if you can figure out how to do that phonetically, um, you'll feel like you're speaking Swedish. Like that's kind of how it sounds, right? So very different, different English. But he was translating from the Latin Vulgate. So he wasn't taking it from the Greek and English, uh, or the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic manuscripts. He was taking it from the Latin Vulgate, which was the official Bible of the church for like a thousand years. And then, um, translating that into his, uh, dialect of, of English. And so it wasn't actually the best translation because the Vulgate in some areas, I mean, it was deficient in, in a lot of ways too. So he was just a few steps removed from the, the type of linguistic scholarship that a lot of guys are doing now. But the, the accuracy of it wasn't the important piece. The important piece was that he was the tip of the spear in a lot of ways that said, no, the plowboy in England needs a Bible. This is the word of God and that kid matters and he needs to be able to hear it. And so 
The church, of course, condemned him as a heretic because that's what they did back then. Uh, thus, the Reformation in the 1500s, right? They were like, we're sick of you killing us every time somebody has a Great Commission idea. So uh, the, the church at the time comes down and says, you shall not translate it out of Latin. Latin is the language of God, and you know, whatever. It, so they uh, they told him to recant. He actually, at one point, cracked under the pressure. They said, tell you what, if... Um, if you if you just renounce all of your work and say you're sorry, we'll give you a nice post over there at like Oxford or whatever it is, and you can live out your days in, a, in an office somewhere. He said, all right, fine, my bad. Well, his students continued the work, and so they actually finished the Bible. Um, and then when he died, uh, there there was the, the Wycliffe Bible. I don't know if it was a complete Bible or not at that point. Anyway, so there was the Wycliffe Bible. It was anathematized by the church. Uh, a couple generations down the road, whenever it was, they actually dug up, and this is what you're referring to, Gabe, they dug up John Wycliffe's bones, set them on fire, just so that he wouldn't be there for the resurrection when Jesus comes back. <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's a heck of a way to excommunicate a dude, right? And so th- this, is, um, this is a blood-soaked issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, William Tyndale, uh, again, he was, you know, in the 1500s, a little while later, and uh, he was burned at the stake, you know, for for the English translation. But here's how God works in all of this stuff: is that when Tyndale was tied to the stake, and they were, you know, they were gathering the kindling around his feet, his last words were, "God, please open the King of England's eyes," because it was illegal at the time to have an English Bible, right? And so, again, he wasn't done with the Bible; he had finished the New Testament, and I think like Psalms, Proverbs, and Genesis, or something like that. But he uh, he he prayed that prayer, open the King of England's eyes. Well, they burned him, and then it was like a year later, political stuff had happened, and the king was like, oh, gosh, you know, everybody kind of liked that Tyndale guy, and you know what? Okay, the Bible can be in English. So within like a year, you know, give or take, of his death, his prayer got answered with a yes, and the Tyndale Bible goes all throughout England, and they can, you know, take a look at it and translate it and maybe fix a couple details here and there, and more manuscripts get dug up, and they can improve the the uh, quality of translation. And now we've got these translations in our hands that are fantastic mm-hmm. translations, right? Mm-hmm. And so that work is still going on yes. in other places. It's 500 years, well, really 700 years old in English, but, you know, that was, um, but not everybody speaks English, right? right. These That's guys right. have their own languages. Yes. <laughs> so we yeah. get to now turn around and with the investment that God has uh, made in his church and handed to us, we get to pass that on to other people. And sometimes it takes airplanes to do it. Yeah, and 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 that is a great, a great uh, background there. And I maybe one thing I'll jump back on that you had mentioned is when when do we decide like somebody? There's all these people who don't have the language. Yeah, um, and you had mentioned, hey, there are people who talk uh, similar. But we were even in our training here the last couple of weeks with a couple where her mom said, I'm not going to speak your mother tongue. I'm going to speak speak a more common language because in her original uh, or her mother tongue. A word for elbow or a word for foot actually meant hip. Like, well, that's my hip. You know, how you know, blessed are the the feet of the hip of those. You know, like, right? You know. So, be confusing. And, <laughs> that's a real problem for a doctor. And so, there is true. And so, there is that's part of the statistics that we mentioned is the the nineteen hundred languages. Yeah, that comes into consideration that not every single one necessarily needs a translation. Sure. So how do you do, count? They yeah. counted that in whoever the, they did. Well, so like we're leaving for Africa in a, in a few weeks, right? And you know, we're going to see people there that we're going to say, how many languages do you speak? They're going to be like 13. And to us, that sounds like, that's amazing. It's not the same as like speaking English and Cantonese. Like, it's, you know, it's okay. not like that. Right? So, okay. So then with 2000, you know, roughly or 1900 mm-hmm. um, people groups that still need a Bible, is that 
is that the number of languages that we've counted, or is that the reduced number of Bibles that we think we need f- to, to reach those people with the Word of God? That's the reduced number. Okay. So there's actually more language groups than that, technically. That Right. Man. Right. It, it did decrease, and then there was a bump where it increased, because they have added sign language in as well. Um, so, like, sign language, like ASL, even American Sign Language. If a you, sign language Bible? They actually just mm-hmm. completed yeah. the American Sign Language Bible. Whoa, 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 whoa. We celebrated <laughs> it. It was finally just completed just now. We celebrated it at the uh, Wycliffe Celebration this last month. How? How, how do you do that? It's you, a video, video it's, it's Bible. Video okay. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Which, that one's really cool because, like, ASL, if you look at the words, it's it's almost in reverse order. So As far as, like, though, the grammar and stuff? Yeah, so people can, a lot of people, obviously, they can read their native um, language. A lot of people who are deaf are amazing at everything, and they obviously can read as well. But the way that, but it's also true that there's a lot of people who have their heart language, but they also know the trade language. But mm-hmm. if they read the Bible in that trade language, they say that they don't feel God speaking to them the same way they could read it, but they say the Bible really comes alive to them when they hear it in their heart language. Absolutely. So very similar with sign language. People can read it, but they say that they can perceive it in a different way when it is in the sign language. So that's, Well, and I run into this all the yeah. time because, you know, we'll be we'll be in these um well, so like uh, Ghana, Ivory Coast, whatever, they've you know, like Ivory Coast is a, a francophone country. It's a French speaking country, that's the trade language. You get out to the villages I mean, some people speak French, but, you know, most of them, well, like the, the kids and stuff don't because they don't have to go into the big cities to trade. So they're speaking Baule or whatever mm-hmm. it is, their, their tribal language. But I'm going and training pastors, right? I'm doing a Bible Institute. And these guys, most of them speak French. We still have it translated into Baule because mm-hmm. they, you know, because we have a Bible in Baule. And so they, we have them read out of that. Now the curriculum, we're still working on getting that translated into ballet. So they're, they're, you got to read that in French. And so you, you got to kind of take these half measures, but yeah, the, the mother tongue is a big deal. I mean, they call it that for a reason, right? It's like whatever the language is that your mother was singing to you when you were bouncing on her knee, that's where the gospel is more likely to pop. Mm-hmm. You know? right. Yeah. Amazing. And it, it, which is kind of problematic. I mean, that's one of the curses of Babel, I guess you could say, because, you know, there are only so many trade languages throughout the world. And if we could just take care of the trade languages for Bible translation, we'd have been done a long time ago, right? So, okay, so that that brings me to another problem. Um, the whole, like, finishing in 2037 thing, I've, I've got a personal beef with that because you guys don't know, we haven't talked in a while, right? Like, yep. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so I was uh, a little autobiographical moment here. I was thinking, okay, I'm a pastor, love my job, can't can't imagine doing anything else with my life, but at some point, I'm not going to have the energy to do what I'm doing now, right? Uh, and you, we all know those pastors that have hung on too long. It's like, I told the Lord I would preach in a pulpit until the day I die, and it's like, uh, bro, did he agree to your terms? Because I don't, <laughs> you don't get to dictate that, right? So I didn't want to be that guy that just hung on too long. So it's like, okay, you know, train a bunch of guys, raise up my replacement, and then, then what? And I'm like, I want to translate a Bible, you know, I want to get into Bible translation. Well, let's say I got 20, 25 years until I'm at that point. So I sat down with some Wycliffe Bible translators. Uh, they were over in uh, Vanuatu, right? Over in the Solomon Islands. And I said, hey, if I want to be getting into that that zone of ministry, what do I need to be doing now to prepare for it? And they said, look, man, just chip away at the, the language training, right? You know, get some letters behind your name and you got time, so do it slow. I'm like, well, that works. I got a bunch of kids at home, so I'm not going to be taking a full load of classes. So I'm just chipping away at my language classes one by one, right? Well, then I find out that we're going to be done in 2037. 
done being yes. in, in big quotations. Okay, good. Talk me out of this because I feel like I've just wasted the last four years of my life stu- like parsing like bizarre verbs that I didn't need to parse. So what do you do after 2037? I mean, you, you know, there's there's so much that is part of that vision but in my mind of, of how we engage. But that's just the start of starting a translation project. Yeah, we have somebody assigned to boots on the ground for this language. Um, yeah, and another big part of that, too, is they start with the New Testament. So they do the New Testament. By the time they get done with the New Testament, a lot of times there is energy from that um, people group, and they actually help even more with the Old Testament. Mm. By the time they get done with an Old Testament, it's already time to go back through and update the New Testament because every, it's a, every language is a living language. Mm-hmm. There's constantly words that um, are no longer understood. There's new words. The Bible doesn't need to be hip and new, but it needs to be understood. Yeah. So the big thing that they aim for is that the average young adult should be able to understand the majority of all the words in the Bible. So if it's an ancient thing that only their grandparents know, that's not the term they want to use in that Bible. Yep. And so obviously through the years that'll go up with the age, so they do need to continually revamp every every scripture. Sure, there's a reason we're not reading the 1527 Tyndale English exactly. Bible, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, the King James still gets a lot of love, and there's a lot of good tradition behind it, so a lot of people have that in their hands, but even that's an updated version. The 1611 looks really weird mm. to us, right? So, mm. Okay, so how long does it take to complete a Bible translation from the time you crack into the New Testament, or does it vary by the difficulty of the language or what? Uh, that would vary, and, and, and I don't know the most recent, I don't know the average, but it is a very dynamic... And it comes with lots of different pieces to it. A lot of times they'll get so close to the end and it's like the enemy, because it is the holy word of God, as it comes to the end, they do find they have more opposition and more problems mm-hmm. and people getting sick and, and, and different opposition. So yeah, it's, it's a very... One of the things they do is they ask the church and say, what can we translate first that is going to be a blessing? What is needed? Is it trauma healing? Is it is it oral? Is, is it the book of Luke? Um, and so if they do the book of Luke, they might dive into uh, the Jesus film, which is basically, you know, the book of Luke with some narration. Mm-hmm. And and there's a, a story that um, a gentleman we know has been a friend uh, for for a little bit, but actually a family friend. He was he was working with the uh, Toposa people. And just to hear how where are they located? They're in South Sudan. OK, so when he started this, they they needed a. um they needed help, and another couple came and joined them. But the Tapos at the time, right? They're just—they are—they have their animals, they have their their cows, and they're basically like most of them. Maybe there was like a couple, barely two believers. Okay, at the time when they went there, and like, yeah, we don't really need the Bible, but they were able to, because of war and uh, and and unrest. They sent a guy named James off to school, and and James Lakuda. He ended up getting a degree, a master's in translation. He came back, became a pastor. People started saying, hey, we, we need the word of God uh, in our language. This is actually important. And the church grew. And, and finally, they, they said, you know, what do we need? And it's the book of Luke. And they, they translated the book of Luke, and then they uh, went to the Jesus film. And when people were there, and they, they gathered, just like the biggest gathering of, of Taposa that had that ever gathered, at 2,000, and and even though there's like multiple thousands of people. So they watched the Jesus film and you could see people crying when Jesus was on the cross and then mm-hmm. rejoicing. I mean, here he was like Jesus in the flesh speaking their language. I mean, just imagine that for the first time ever. They're not trying to read this in a, in somebody else's language. Yeah. And, and that day, you know, they, at the end of the, the, the video or the showing of the Jesus film, um, 
Pastor James asked, you know, would any of you like to become followers of Jesus? And that day, 1,200 new believers Man. accepted. And that, and it just so happened, the river is only wet. There's only flows because it's like 50 miles away. When it rains in the mountains, the river goes down. And they's like, well, here's water. What, what should we go back? <laughs> what we prevents us from baptizing you? <laughs> you know, and what a story to see that God, God had the timing of that. So they could get baptized and yeah. just, and, and we're just rejoicing, you know, now that's just one example, right? The word of God penetrating. Yeah. I mean, just to, this might be a rabbit trail, but it just strikes me as worth focusing on for a second that like the way that God chooses to accomplish his mission is through interpersonal communication. Right. And like the whole story of God is so bizarre from a certain standpoint because it's like, yeah, but he caused that to be broken at Babel. Right. Yeah. Because we were handling it wrong. So God says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to divide your language. I'm going to divide you up into, into, you know, tribes, into language groups, into, you know, peoples. And, and then they spread out and they did whatever. Cause by the way, if you're listening to this, you're always going to wind up obeying God. You're going to bow the knee, right? Like <laughs> whether, whether it's now or whether it's after you die, you will bow the knee. So it's going to work, you know, from, from his perspective, you will bow the knee to him. Now, whether that's a good day for you or a bad day depends on what you do with the gospel right now. But it, it's interesting to, to see that like he puts this massive barrier in interpersonal communication. And then he says, now that like overcoming that barrier is going to be the means by which I undo all of the problems that you knuckleheads caused with your sin. And so like, there's, there's a problem that he is not only aware of, but caused with his own hand. And then with his own hand, he empowers us to overcome this massive, massive problem that has taken us thousands of years to overcome now. So mm-hmm. like, okay, so you guys, <laughs> look, you guys are, missionaries giving your life to you know to the great commission okay and the which by the way as i said in the intro this is normal christianity people you know this is this is just what we do these guys are doing it through airplanes and relocating you know god's got different plans for everybody but this is what we are to be about so okay how then what, what's what's the end game look like? I mean, we know we we've read Revelation, right? We we see Revelation twenty two, like twenty one and twenty two, and we got the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, you know, and every tear is wiped away and all this stuff. But from your perspective, then, what does the pathway between here and there look like? I mean, we we spread the gospel out to all these language groups, and then like we've made a lot of progress in this before, and then there's this regression, and so do we just keep on expecting that accordion rhythm until Jesus comes back, or do you guys see like a, a progression coming? I realize I'm, I'm saying, hey, what's your eschatology? But <laughs> that's why we're doing all of this, right? Is because we expect this to have an effect. So, I mean, what, what do you hope would, would be done if, you know, if God made you the offer of Solomon and said, hey, you know, what would you like to see happen? And you said, I want the mission accomplished. You know, what would that look like in your lifetime? And I think it is in our lifetime. I think it's possible that, this vision and the tools we have and God mobilizing his church, the partnerships, uh, there's Wycliffe Global Alliance, which is almost like a, a, a multiple, like I said, a hundred partners who are now together working on this vision together. I think when, you know, Jesus says, go into all the nations and that's, that's all to do what to teach them, to baptize them. And lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the, the age. And so I think we're, being able to see that being accomplished, the vision of having the Bible translated into every language. You know, there's unreached people groups who have the Bible too. And so there's a mission field. That's another podcast. Maybe you should find something to do on or whatever. But <laughs> right, there's so much to do, but that's the work we're called to. And I think God is enabling his church to do all of that because it's his heart. So if, if somebody was like, okay, I'm, I'm in, I want to help get the written word of God into people's hands from here. I mean, what, you know, 
There is. What do you do? Need to go for yeah, it. So there, there are roles and roles and roles to, to help get the Bible translated in every language and for engagement. Once that Bible mm-hmm. is part of Wycliffe is not just hand the Bible. It's also to engage so that people could read it. They can understand it. They can apply it. They're not just left hanging. Um, so to get the Bible into everybody's hands and to be engaged, there are prayer partners. There are people helping financially. There are doctors that are needed. There are teachers that are needed. There are anything you can think of. God can use plumbers, um, literally everything God can use for his glory through Bible translation and engaging his word abroad and locally. Yeah, I was really surprised when I went on the Wycliffe website and it, went, it said, like, you know, participate or plug in or something. Just the amount of jobs that there are to do that you don't have to be a, a right. you know, a PhD in linguistics right. to do. Right. Like, yes. th- this is a huge, right. well, this is going to, okay. I almost said something that's going to sound really stupid. Now I'm going to say it anyway. This is a huge mission. <laughs> right? like, there's a lot going on here. Okay, so we think, let me break this down for everybody. We think of missionaries as, you know, um, people who go out of their native context and do cross-cultural engagement with the gospel, share the gospel with them, and lead them to Christ. Maybe they're long-term missionaries that stick around. Maybe they're short-term missionaries that bounce back home. But that's that's oftentimes our idea of missions. Good. That should be our idea of missions. But there's, there's a whole um, ecosystem around this where that's maybe the most famous part or maybe the most visible part, right? Because when you're, when you're, you know, if I go to the slums in Kalanguari in Kenya and I stand up and start preaching a sermon, people are going to snap pictures and put it on Facebook, right? So that's the, the visible part. But behind that, there's interpreters that are live. There's translators where that, that have, you know, created a Bible in Swahili that I can hand to them. There's pastors locally that have been raised up and trained by missionaries from somewhere, maybe their own country, maybe another one that can disciple these guys and plant churches and you know, whatever, somebody brought the gospel there the first time. There's logistical support. There's aviation guys. There's, uh, there's, there's, uh, uh, you know, people creating websites for, for cross-cultural engagement, um, global media outreach. Mm-hmm. You guys have heard of those guys? They're fantastic. I love those. Anybody can plug in with global media outreach and do, do evangelistic missions across language barriers when you don't even know the language, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's a huge kind of uh, swirling bundle of activity going on around the mission. And a lot of people are never going to know about, you know, about the people that fly the airplanes, right? Yeah, we know about like two. There's also a, a really big set of unsung heroes too that support mm-hmm. us as we walk. Mm-hmm. I, my brain right now is, is forgetting his name right now. Um, our, our financial advisor, he worked to support us till he he had systemic cancer. His eyes hurt, like the cancer had penetrated his eye. He was working with us on our Excel sheet with Wycliffe till days yeah. before he passed away. Like just really? the heart to of this missionary who served all the way every day of his life. I just can't imagine him walking to heaven, leaving the last few seconds here on earth. He served every moment. And there's so many of those retired, well, retired in quotations, missionaries who their bodies or their life can't stay on the mission field. They come back and support in these roles of mentors, of, of, uh, getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, just so many hidden ways that they are serving. I had no idea until I started how many support roles these missionaries do after the mission field and other people who maybe have, have never met, been on the mission field per se, you know, internationally, but who have been missionaries here. Yeah. in the state. So there's a lot of, of behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we got we got John Wycliffe, we got uh, William Tyndale, and we got Gabe Lawrence and Naomi Lawrence. 
I mean, for, so for a lot of people, these are going to be the only four people that they will have heard about by the time they listen to this podcast in the Bible translation space. But how many how many translations are there? I mean, do we have a way of, of knowing? I don't know off the top of my head. It's got to be like what? I mean, oh. it's got to be five, 6,000, right? Just based on how many people groups are, there are left to reach. So, there, I mean, there, there's so, a lot of them, right? So, well, and there's different, depending on like, Amer- you know... English, there's a ton of Bibles in our right. Okay, so that's right. I'm looking at the numbers about 6,000 okay, with scripture, okay, like at least a portion. Right, we're going from those. I'm just looking at my statistics here. We got full scripture, complete Bible, New Testament, or some translated. So, yeah, and at least 2,500 of those are unneeded English translations, right? (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) I saw a uh, oh, what was it? It was like a like an Ebonics Bible or something. And I'm like, guys, it's going to be outdated in four years as soon as the next album drops. Like, what are we doing here? Come on. The, the one thing I would like to note for people who are linguists, who, who do know a lot more of that area than we do, um, Wycliffe works very hard to make sure that the Bible is very accurate. Um, there, an example that we were given to kind of show that, um, there's a, a people group, uh, the Nassau people group, and I'm not even going to be able to say this right, but there's a term that if you um, translate it literally into U.S., it means, or into English, it's I liver dry. I, um, like I liver, like my liver. Yeah, your, your liver, liver. Okay. I liver dry. I liver dry, I drank too much. And then if you, <laughs> so that's highly literal, that's word for word exact. Yeah. But if you're just literal, it's my liver is dry. Okay. The a sentence idi- I don't think I've ever uttered in my life. Exactly. Idiomatic, it's I am thirsty. So now we're starting to get to that where it's literal, mm-hmm. but now we're understanding. And then yep. if you go unduly free, I got to have a Coke. So there's a point in between there where we want to be. <laughs> right. Um, so Wycliffe works very hard to make sure that it's as literate, as, literal as possible mm-hmm. while still being understood. Um, and there's times where they want to be more free so they understand it better, but they realize that we're losing, we could lose some of the Bible if we're too free in that way. And so they'll, yeah. they'll make a footnote, like there's places that don't know what a camel is. And they're like, well, should we use a different animal? No. In this situation, it's very important that it's a camel in the Bible. Yep. And so they'll put a footnote to describe what a camel is. So I really appreciate how much the literal part is important and the understanding and all those portions together. So for people who, who, who know more about that and have more education there, there's, and, and the and, and key I would say, points. And Go I would ahead, just Gabe. join in that if, well, maybe sometimes the focus is literal, literal sometimes there needs to be space that it, it's natural, that it, it reads like we think in our mother tongue, mm-hmm. right? Whatever translation or whatever language that is and, and accepted. And, and so the, the dilemma comes right in, in Bible translation and, the example was the camel through the eye of a needle. Well, yeah. what do you do in Papua New Guinea when they're like a camel? Where over there, the biggest animal is a pig. Mm-hmm. Well, a pig versus a camel, as you know, we know from our, we can visualize those two animals. That means something. So what do you do? What do you do in that situation? Do you just say a large animal? Well, to them, that would be a pig. So they'll take the posture and try to be accurate. And this is an example where they, they might do a dictionary in the back mm-hmm. of the picture. A camel and a picture of a camel and able to. Yeah. And the same thing we do when, when we say that, you know, uh, uh, you know, Ruth carried uh, an ephah of barley or whatever. And it's like, you know, you, get, you might have to put a footnote or a, a glossary in the back. Like, hey, by the way, an ephah is this, you know, whatever. Or Yeah. Well, anyway, there's a lot of examples. But, yeah, it gets tricky, too, because there's idioms in the original text. Right. Oh, sure. So the yes. way you say that he was angry in, in Hebrew is that his nose was burning. Right. 
And so you've got all these texts where God's nose is burning. Well, now you've got a real theological problem if you're too literal about that because people will think that God is a human with flesh that has a nose. And when he gets angry, he goes all dragon on us, right? So you've got to translate that idiom out of Hebrew into whatever the appropriate one might be in a language that, that you're working in, which may have nothing to do with a nose. It may be something like, you know, I mean, you know, my, my face is melting or something sure, like that, yeah, right? Right? Yeah. right? Which in America means I'm, I'm cutting a mean guitar solo right now. So yeah, it's, <laughs> language is tricky. It flows. And, and uh, it's, it's also weird because, you know, there's like technology really messed a lot of stuff up as far as the, the, the way that languages develop. I mean, you mentioned, you know, living languages and stuff. We're having problems now, and maybe you guys know more about this. I don't know. In, in like, um, updating translations that we've had for a long time where the the leap in language happened so fast because technology came and and changed the, the normal progression of a language. So you'll have grandparents that speak a version of the language, and then the kids, the, the grandkids or the great-grandkids, speak a version of that language that is so different that it, they actually can't even read the same documents. And the reason is because the great-grandkids have iPhones, and they're getting videos and learning, and they're updating their language based mm-hmm. on these cross-cultural engagements or, or you know modern translations or something. And so now it's like, well, we, we might need another Bible translation in 20 years rather than in 100 right? That's a big problem because then, I mean, that messes with discipleship in the home and the whole deal. Man, what a mess. People are crazy. Like we cause all sorts of problems. And the technology side of it that make me think of is, is with technology, we can start to translate a gospel, but the other gospel is partially like there's guesses for that verse. Like it starts to fill in, right? If we, as we translate a verse or a passage in, in let's say Matthew, well, actually, there's one in Mark that's got similar words that are used, and so it helps to actually speed up. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. The well, and with the Gospels, that that helps because you can cross apply a lot of that stuff, right? And okay. then, yeah, it's probably with the prophets too because a lot of it's just so repetitive. But that, you, you brought up something that I hadn't heard of, but that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I think they called it like language leaping or something mm. like that. I, I forget, but Good. yeah, it's, it's just like the the number the number of challenges that you have to confront to complete the mission. I mean, you can't sit down in a room and list all these out on a whiteboard and plan for them, right? right? Yeah. You just get into these messy situations. So, okay, so you guys are going to be on the uh, logistical support end of things, connecting dots, making things happen. Um, how how closely do you get to engage with the evangelism and discipleship side of the mission? I mean, are you going to be living among indigenous peoples and, and kind of like integrating there, or is it mostly a, a foreign community that you're going to be living with or what? So overall, we get we will be on a very international base. A mm. lot of missionaries mm. there will be from different countries, but we also have natives that will be living and helping and, and have different roles on the base, whether it be helping with translation or helping with life or different roles. Any way we can integrate into the natural community is our goal. Um, so will you need to learn a language going down there? Yes. Um, yeah, I can never the, say. Uh, Tolkpisin is the is a trade language. Tolkpisin? Yeah. Okay. Is that yeah. two words or one I word? I think it's two words. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I've learned about it. Um, there's even uh, I mean, church services in Tolkpisin. And so we were talking to somebody who, who's been there and they're like, yeah, I became a Sunday school teacher and the pastors and, and, and they're, they're nationals, right? And so it's a, I'm excited to be able to participate in that way with with the community there in Papua yeah. New Guinea. Yeah, you bet. And I feel like Gabe will have more of a unique opportunity because he will be going out and meeting with the missionaries and, and locals as well. Um, so I think he will have a unique position to be an encourager, and um, that's one of Gabe's strengths. So so I, I feel like he's been uniquely called to his job because that is one of his, his qualities is to be an encourager. 
Um, so he'll have more interactions than I will on the base. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like the kids will have more interactions being that they get to play with all the kids and have all those neat interactions. So, um, yeah, we pray that God will use all those interactions for his glory. Yeah. And and you're in a spot, Naomi, where you're in a lot of ways, the support of the support, right? I mean, if he's out flying planes and doing stuff and making these connections and then, you know, he comes home and you're, you're kind of like worn on that home front and stuff. I mean that without that, that then a lot of what Gabe does doesn't happen. I mean, that's, Man, there, there's so many layers to this. This just blows my mind every time I, I learn more about the mission and like your guys's you know particular role of it or whatever your place in that. It's just like there's so much here, and God is active in every single element of it. Right? Yeah. He, he got there first. That's yeah. right. Super cool. All right. So you guys, is there is there an end date in mind, or are you just you're just going and then you'll figure it out? You know, hey, what, which country do we want to die in? <laughs> like, That's right. <laughs> what are we doing here? No, we're just we're going and trusting the Lord. We're, we're just so thankful. So we we do, though. Um, so right now, full disclosure, we're, we're at like 32% of the way towards um, getting monthly, to leave on mission. Month, yep. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. monthly. Wycliffe sets a monthly, midget, uh, monthly ministry budget. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and as soon as we reach 100%, then we get to leave. And so we're, we're by faith picking a faith date because we God has given us the ability to to give us wisdom on, on all the facts he's given us. So we're mm-hmm. picking a faith date of July 1st. Um, that we'd like to be full partnership so we can move on to the next phase. He could pick a totally different date, but we're going with that for yeah, now. Sure. Um, and then we'll go to North Carolina, uh, JARS, which is the sister group that um, that supports um, uh, a- the aviation side of things. And so Gabe will do some extra flight training there and some maintenance stuff. And there's also intercultural training there um, to really help support families. They want, if there's any problems, they want to train and fix that here stateside. Yep. Um, so that could be nine months plus or minus a few months. Um, and then Lord willing, as long as COVID and all these things let us in, then yeah. hopefully we'll yeah. be headed to Papua New Guinea after that. So, okay. um, once we head off from here, then we're, we're hopefully on our, on our, uh, straight shot to finish the training and then go to Papua New Guinea. Okay. So now you're the math guy. I'm not. So we're looking at maybe the end of 2022, 2023, something like that. You guys are boots on the ground. Yeah. Lord willing summer. Yeah. I'd say 20 next summer to North Carolina and the following so 23. Yep. Wow. Okay, so, cool. So um, if, if you're driving and you're listening to this, pull over and grab a pen because I'm going to ask them, you know, about ways that you can reach out and communicate and support and things like that. So what are the, what do the support channels look like? I mean, do people get a hold of you on social media? Do people, you know, email you? I mean, if they want to jump in and say, Hey, we want to, uh, you know, for, for whoever it is that's listening, I know who you are, by the way, I'm thinking about you right now. Um, and, and they say, Hey, we just want to throw a bunch of money at them and have them hit their hundred percent mark right now. How would they get in touch with you? And I would jump in and say, we would cover your prayers too. This is uh, you know, or, or, or partnership in any way. And so the partnership that, that God is allowing us has been uh, humbling to see how he provides. Right. And he has already set those who are going to, and he's working in their, in your hearts or whoever it is. So uh, reach out to us would be by email. You know, you go Gabriel underscore Lawrence at Wycliffe or my wife, Naomi underscore Lawrence. Um, and can you spell Wycliffe for people? Cause it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely, definitely do that. Um, W Y L I F F. Oh man. There's a C in there somewhere. That's why we don't think well on our feet. Apparently not. So W Y C L I F F E. All right. Yeah. Can I spell that? Let's see. Yeah. Well, that's uh, guys. And if you read the Wycliffe translation, it's going to be a whole lot of that. Like, dude, that's, you could get that done in three letters. What are we doing? Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
Yeah, very good. There's there's uh, prayers specifically that are needed for, I mean, we've talked finances, we've talked, you know, other logistical stuff, but I mean, what are the big barriers right now where like, if God doesn't do something, we, we have no options. What needs to get prayed for? For us, I mean, um, we have, yeah, the big steps to get to the mission field is 100% on our monthly. That's our biggest one. Um, good health, that's something that we need to maintain. Um, there's only rudimentary medical care there. And so if there was a significant health with either us or our kids, that would be a no-go for us. We would still serve on missions. It would just be not in Papua New Guinea where mm-hmm. we feel called. So prayer for health and... I just saw the, the training and pre- precision of, of you know technical flying, right? Yeah. It's uh, ongoing. The Lord has, has been a blessing to allow us to go this far. You know, we moved to Tri-Cities 10 years ago and and so just uh, we're thankful. Worked as an engineer and... And, uh, and the other thing is we do send out monthly newsletters yep. and Dustin, if anybody sent you an email via you, would you forward it on to us too if, from your church? That's not... Uh, a, no, not that way. Okay, never I don't mind. know. Our email yeah. is... Uh, I'm joking, of okay. course. Yeah, <laughs> and you guys, listen, uh, grace and truth, folks. I mean, you can you can text me too if you are actually driving and you can't pull over and write this down. Just text me and say, hey, get me in touch with the missionaries and I'll, I'll, I'll hook it up. But yeah, you you were mentioning your uh, an email that I interrupted you in the middle of because I'm oh rude. just um well and there's a couple of ways too you can also just go on the Wycliffe website wycliffe.org forward slash partner forward slash Gabe G A B E N A O M I and that'll bring up our our is what they call a personal missionary page and you can say sign up for a newsletter there um, that sort of thing okay yeah that's what us. I want to get in there great now I know I'm going to get this question so if you guys you know, don't want to get into this, tell me to, you know, take a hike, but what, what's the dollar amount? I mean, how what's the, what's the monthly gap that you need to fill right now? And, and it's great. So we, there's a, a yeah, I was going to say uh, some of the exact numbers, we are super happy to share exact numbers on more of an, an individual basis. So we'd mm-hmm. love to grab coffee with anybody, a small group, anything like that. We'd love to talk specifics over kind of a, a broad stream where we're not able to say all the reasons where all the finances are for and really sit down. Gotcha. Yep. All that, we, we'd probably hesitate to do that. But And what I love doing is watching people squirm as I ask questions. So thank you for <laughs> indulging me in that. <laughs> but but it's and, and no secret. It's no, just it's that there's a, a lot of details. You're, we're um, self-employed, basically. So mm-hmm. we pay both sides of health insurance. We pay oh, yeah. all the different fees. So the exact number can be a little sticker shock. Um, but just to note that our, the budget is set by Wycliffe and it's set by those who are in Papua New Guinea that they know what the standard of living is over there and what that cost. And so they want us to not be starving, but, yep. but they mm-hmm. want us to, but also to live a very humble life there as well. So yeah. the, the funds are enough to make it so that we can eat, but we can't buy everything at the store there. We have to buy from the local market yeah. and just very reasonable things there. So it is a very... Um, well thought out and we have very little say in any of the parts which is great sure. they hand it to us and we say okay <laughs> that's great yeah and, and it's it's so tough in the mission world too because um you know if, if you're not dealing with a a vetted and reputable organization money can disappear like that and that's why i'm really thankful for Wycliffe. they've got you know uh and, and other organizations like that we work really closely with world hope and there's like these these financial accountability oversight organizations in the mission world that you can like, you know, and they, they audit you like crazy and Wycliffe, yes. I'm forgetting the acronym for EFCA? it. EFCA. I think. That, that's a de- uh, denomination. That's the, um, 
Is it? Uh, no, no, it's just reverse of two letters, and then it becomes a e- ECFA. Yeah, the ECFA. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah. There anyway, yeah. So, but they're they're members of that too, and they get audited, and they they got to report stuff and whatever. So, yeah, we can we can vouch for those guys. Money goes where they say it goes. Which man, it is so discouraging to see the amount of waste, fraud, and abuse in the missions world, where it's like yes. I don't know if I don't know what the deal is. If Satan just sends in mm. like fake missionaries to make us look bad, or if if. Uh, you know, if there's just too much temptation from the world, the flesh and the devil or what the deal is. But yeah, when you've got an organization that's actually financially sound, that is a real gift. When you can send money off and know that it's helping accomplish yes. the mission and not putting somebody on a first class flight to a conference they feel like going to. Right. So, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm just saying that as your guys as pastor, I'm personally vouching for uh, Wycliffe and, uh, and the people they send on the field and how they go about it. So, well, listen, guys, what, what else do people need to know? If I if I cut this off. And there's something that you that I have not given you a chance to communicate, and I deserve the death penalty for that. What would that thing be? Have I left anything out? Um, not specifically, but just that people know that that God is calling us all to missions in some way or another. There you go. Um, it's the Great Commission because it's the Great Commission. Um, we're all called to be a part. Um, so just to really prayerfully think about how God has called each one of us to serve, each one of you to serve. Um, your local church community, um, however he is pushing, nudging, prodding, just to be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to follow where where he's called. Yeah, great. All right. And I was thinking we were we were recently just uh, in the the book "Let the Nations Be Glad," and yeah. and one of the themes of that book is um, missions exist because worship doesn't, and and our goal is the worship of the beautiful, all powerful God who first was on mission to us. You know the. Um, one of the things we won't be able to do in heaven is missions. And that's like the number one thing on earth that we're called to do. Mm. And so that, that for our season of life for the last 10 years has been here in the tri cities, just uh, having life, doing life together in small group and community, um, being a light and trusting the Lord. And now that God's calling us, it's the same thing, worshiping the Lord, being a light and where God's calling us. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And and I, it, when I read that book, it stuck out to me that, you know, that was kind of the, the tagline of the book, like the, the relationship between missions and worship. And it's like, man, God deserves a lot of glory from his creation that he's not currently getting, Amen. you know? And, and when that, when that sunk in for me, like that was the kind of thing that makes you stay awake at night and pace around your bedroom. Like, you know, what, what do we have to do? And the fact is he's given us a lot to do, whether we're going to Papua New Guinea or whether he's called us to stay here and do stuff as he has for you guys the last 10 years. Right. There's, there's something to do here to, to fix this problem. And by the, you know, he gave us the Holy spirit and said, you know, get moving. I got jobs for you. Let's go. So we're not, we're not sitting here helpless. You know, there's yeah. Missions. Uh, he said, he, Piper also said in that book, uh, uh, missions isn't the goal worship is right yes. kind of a similar similar sort of deal yeah we just want to go around and swoop up some glory for god that he rightly deserves and is not currently voluntarily getting from his own creation that's a, that's messed up that is messed up that we would get created by him and then ignore him right, right. We, we can go and fix that right. so yeah well hey um let me let me pray for you guys and we'll uh, we'll wrap up here shall i great thank all right god thank you for uh for sending gabe and naomi and, and thank you for um including you know, people who apart from you would be, you know, hellbound and rightfully so. I mean, we are rebels until you jump in and adopt us and make us sons and daughters. And you, you've done so much work here. I mean, we talk about the kind of the swirling ecosystem of, of work that goes in behind the mission, but there's, there's that behind every salvation too. And so the, the number of miracles that, that are, are, that we could count up if we knew about them all, all the private and secret work that you do, 
um, that if it just led up to this place, the, we we would need we would need more you know pages and more books than there currently are in the world. Uh, and so you deserve a whole lot of glory. And I'm just asking that you would get a whole bunch out of Gabe and Naomi that you would cause their mission to go forward, connect all the logistical dots, whether it's you know whether it's the money or just the the practical things happening for them to be received on the ground and and for the mission to get taken out and, uh, or carried out and all that. Uh, if you would work in those things in such a way that they don't need to spend their time you know, uh, uh, freaking out about logistics. Sometimes that's part of the job. You, you cause us to walk through those and solve those problems. That's fine. If you want to do that too, no complaints from their end, I'm sure. But at the same time, if you, if you would just move them, if you would expedite them to the front line of the mission so that they can be, um, you know, taking the word of God to people that don't currently have it and sooner rather than later, then these people can be reading your word sooner than later and they can be praying your word back to you sooner than later and they can be worshiping you for things that they wouldn't know about if they didn't read it in your word. And so, you know, from where I'm sitting, it looks like there's a lot of glory sitting on the table that they will go and swoop up for you if you just get them there quickly. But I don't know things and you you know everything. And so, you know, whatever seems good to you, let it be, you know, according to your will. Not our will be done, but your will. If it works inside your plan, though, I'm asking that you would scoot them along so that they can spend as much time as possible in, in this life that you've given them uh, doing the mission that you've called them to. I pray this in Jesus' name and under his blood. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for taking some time. And, and uh, I mean, you're discipling our people at Grace and Truth. That's what this whole thing is about, right? We didn't we didn't start this podcast for, you know, for popularity or, a, you know, a broad um, platform or anything like that. We want to make disciples here. And you guys have really done a great service to our people. So thank you uh, on behalf of all the pastors and everybody that just listened to this. Really, like, this is a big deal for us. Thank you so much. Thanks, thank Dustin. You. We'll talk soon. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.